Well, hey there again. It's Coach Tim, and I have a wonderful, interesting, some might think even bizarre because it's so different, uh, guest, David Barron, who has published eight books on mind control, is a hypnotist and regularly teaches hypnosis and trainings. You can find him at the Hypnosis Seminar and even his advanced hypnosis skills group on Facebook. And I'm going to get right to it with David Barron. Welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here, Tim. Hey, it's it's really a pleasure uh, for me because I'm I'm getting a little bit off of the typical uh, football bent that that uh, that I've been on. I want to talk to people who deal with the mind because uh, what we both know is a lot of times the mind is is why people are successful in football or anything. And so I really wanted to talk to somebody who understands that and, uh, and somebody who's a hypnotist actually gets into the mind. So tell me what that's all about. What, what, is, what is hypnosis and how can it help an athlete? Uh, it's interesting. People will describe hypnosis in a lot of different ways. I will describe it in the way that I experience it that helps me make really profound changes in people. Uh, for me, hypnosis is an incredibly pleasant but an incredibly intense state of focus. And what I do is when I'm with a client, they do not go to sleep. Sometimes they get so involved in what I'm talking about that they have limited memories of what I'm saying, but they all acknowledge it's an intense experience. What I do is I try and narrow their awareness down to a single point in which I can, I can first of all instruct them in ways to respond and ways to feel in certain situations and practice that. So with sports, that goes down to creating that sense of flow where you're totally aware of, of, of just the process that you're in. You're not aware of the people or the pressure. One of the amazing things about the Olympic swimmers, Michael Phelps, is when he's competing, it doesn't matter that people are watching. He doesn't even think about failure. It's, it means absolutely nothing to him. Uh, for someone else, or maybe you or me, in a high-pressure situation, we reflect on it, and it sort of causes us to clench up. But with this state of flow, this state of focus, I can definitely help people gain that uh, with hypnosis, so they have it in their sports. And another step in the hypnosis process is talking to a part of the mind, the subconscious part of the mind, so that it understands it can create this process, this new habit, this new response instantly, without any sort of thought. Just once the situation is there, you respond. And like for martial arts, martial artists, for example, once they step onto the mat or into the ring, they are in the state. Nothing else matters. It just automatically comes up. So with hypnosis, again, we're creating strong, very positive states that can be practiced in various situations and then making it become something that is a subconscious process that happens automatically. So that's sort of the brief description of what I can do with hypnosis with regard to sports. 
Well, what is, let me ask you this. What, it, it, you start talking about subconscious and conscious, and I start getting a little bit scared. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> what, what do you mean? Are you controlling me or, or what? Am I out of control? Uh, we're all out of control, believe me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> our conscious mind is what we're able to pay attention to right now. It's the result of, depending on how you want to look at it, millions of years of evolution or God's grace, but it is incredibly powerful, but it has huge, massive limitations. And the limitation is, it's what you can pay attention to right now. Beneath that is everything else. Your subconscious mind has every memory you've ever experienced. It has habits, it has patterns, it has emotions that come up spontaneously, and it can do things without conscious control, obviously, because it's so vast. Uh, now, many of us, in fact, all of us, are usually responding to things through subconscious processes, not because mm -hmm. we make a decision, but because something happens, we get triggered to do a certain response, and either that response benefits us or it doesn't benefit us and we don't know how to change it so your question is are you are you in control most of the time we're not my goal is to make those things that happen automatically as useful and as positive to us as as possible now you ask a question which i think is an important question which is do i control your mind in the hypnosis process and to to an extent, I will say yes. I ask you to follow instructions, and that, that includes focusing your attention in very specific areas. And there's a point, and I really try to get to the point where it becomes so intense and so pleasant and so focused that what I'm describing and what you're experiencing are the same thing. You don't know that I'm describing it to you. You are in it and experiencing it. It becomes wonderfully intense. It becomes deeply ingrained at that particular point. And I will, you know, yes, I, I will tell people that that can be abused, uh, but it's generally very hard to do, and more often than not, it comes, comes back to bite the hypnotist, so just don't do it. It's stupid. Yeah, yeah. Is, is there a, uh, an age limit or, or uh, would, you know, I used to coach kids from kindergarten on up to eighth grade, and golly, I, I can't, I don't know, I, I, you know, I, I got a little riskier with kids as I got, they got older, I, you know, because they understand more. Mm -hmm. uh, the little kids I, I couldn't give big concepts to, right? And I'm just wondering, as, as a hypnotist, do you, where do you limit yourself, or do you? Um, myself, personally, I, I try and limit working with people who are, you know, 10 or 12. Just, you know, approaching very close to puberty is usually enough. They can understand concepts like imagination. Uh, if I were coaching, however, I'd simply sort of change the process, even with young kids. One of the things I think is really incredibly fascinating is that you don't have to be physically moving your body to practice you can do it all in your head so even with a young kid on the school bus you could have him imagining mentally uh, an exercise that he has to do a, 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 
a, a kata, martial arts form, or a play that he has to run. And as much as possible, imagine his body physically moving that way. And the more someone's able to do that, regardless of the age, the more that becomes ingrained in their physiology, in their neurology. So with regard to coaching, I don't think there's any limit using someone's imagination. Oh, okay. So, and that, that reminds me of the old uh, study, and then I'm not even sure if it was a real study and maybe it was just myth, but uh, where they took the <clears throat> real basketball players and they had them shoot from the free throw line and they did it in real life, and then they compared that to people doing it in their imagination, and it was almost the same result. So, uh, and again, I'm not sure if that anymore, if that was a real study or not, but the point being that you can get practice time in without actually having to go to practice, right? Yes. Isn't that what you're saying? That the body doesn't know the difference, correct? Yeah, that, that was originally uh, published in the, uh, it was a groundbreaking book at the time, Psycho-Cybernetics. Uh, a, a, a similar story was a, a person who in China was, during the Cultural Revolution, was imprisoned for 10 years, and he was a concert pianist, but when he was released, without access to having a piano, he was technically as skilled as when he went in, because all he was doing mentally was playing concert quality uh, <laughs> piano. I mean, he practiced it mentally in his mind during his incarcerations. So definitely, it's a very, very true mentally practicing it makes it even more uh, ingrained. Interesting. Well, I want to get into uh, the, the biggest reason I wanted to talk to you, and that is about four or five years ago, I got uh, interested in cults. And most people would freak out about that and think of a bunch of bald people walking around like drones in, in robes or whatnot. But uh, the, the reason it interested me was when I first took on uh, 13 years ago, actually, uh, or a little, it was about 11 years ago, as a head coach of little kids, um, I had no idea what I was getting myself in, into, right? I mean, you, you're, you're looking at little, you're having to tie shoes all the time at that age. You're having to tell them, the, yeah, I'm not doing it, but they're going to have to wipe the snot off their nose <laughs> and just disgusting right. stuff that little boys do. And uh, along with that, I realized that uh, they were still attached to the, to the umbilical cords of their parents. And I didn't just take on a team of little boys, of 20 or so boys, but I also took on their parents. And I realized that uh, I'm really running almost a, a corporation <laughs> or yeah. an organization. And uh, so along comes the, the idea of cult and using that as a, a metaphor for a football team just fell right into place for me. Everything made sense. We all, you know, we have the secret handshakes. We have the, we all dress the same and we all talk in, in, in weird languages, 52 stack monster, you know, uh, sky, you know, what is that? And Absolutely. so and then I come across your book and I'm just blown away because you literally write a book uh, you know, if I want to really go start a cult with a bunch of bald headed people, I could do it. <laughs> but I don't my think book, that's why you way, wrote it. My what? book, by the way, is, 
is building your cult. It's written under the name of Dantalian Jones. For anyone. Who's oh, forgive me. I didn't. I didn't put that out. I. I. I I'm sorry. I, I forgot to put that out. Okay. Yes. Okay. Awesome book. Uh, Power politics and people is is the subhead, and. Uh, uh, it's it's a great book, but it's like I said, I don't think you were really doing it to create uh, a bunch of uh, mindless people. Uh, there is a, uh, I assume, a positive side of it. So why don't you tell us a little bit of what is the book about, and how in God's name could it relate to uh, to football or any organization or team? Right. Well, it is written with a. A very stiff tongue in the cheek, uh, but it is also written very seriously because these are techniques and applications you could definitely do at any at any time. Uh, when the the idea of a strong organization that I will call a cult, they all have certain factors to them. They have a sense of unity, a sense a common sense of purpose, and. That is joined together by a lot of different factors, um, like you say, your own language, your own uniform. You meet at a certain time. You do very specific things. You look at the people in the group uh, as not not competitors but as peers, and if if you do it really well, you look at each other as brothers. And the mm-hmm. whole idea is is the. If you can instill this in each individual, what you want to do is you want to make each individual be the most supportive of anyone else on the team. Not themselves, but anyone else on the team. And that that goes to the whole idea of cult selflessness. You know, you do it for a greater cause. Um, You see this manifested incredibly well in war zones where small platoons have very little to do but to eat sleep and try to stay alive and their whole purpose is to protect the other person not themselves but the other person you can instill this in a team uh you've got you know you've got something where the parts together are so that what you've got as a whole is so much bigger than the parts so i sort of try and describe the little things you can do if you want to do it for fun, if you want to just have an entourage and <laughs> have people come to you thinking you're a cult, you know, I talk about that too. But uh, think of it in terms of, like I say, power, politics, and people, getting those three things together and realizing within any small organization, if you don't have a common purpose, you're going to have a lot of infighting, a lot of politics. It helps to keep the numbers manageable, so that's why teams work really well in small numbers and things like that. Um, I hope that sort of addresses your question here. Uh, for me, a whole, you know, a mm-hmm. cult is really just an, a deeply interlocked group of people that that share a common purpose. Is it ecological that state? Good question. That, de- that depends on who the coach is, who the leader is. Definitely there are cults that sole purpose is to drain every bit of life force, sexual energy, and bank account money from each person and turn them into mindless slaves. That is not ecological. If you are able to link the 
the purpose of the group to the well-being and support of the individual. Then you have people who can go outside of the group and be supportive in their community and do some great things. And there are some, there are some very cult-like churches that have incredibly positive people that go out into the community. And uh, while I will call them a cult because they sort of limit a lot, they limit behaviors and things like that. And in the community, they're equally supportive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the reason I ask that is is yeah I I mean I, I watched coaches drain the, the life out of kids and I've watched coaches enhance kids mm-hmm. and make them not just better teammates but also better individuals and and to me that that I think the human to be human is to be able to be in community right I mean we're we're pack right. animals but at the same time we have we're obviously very individual and somehow to find that balance is is something that fascinates me uh yeah what uh so one of the things that that i think uh and i I was really pleased to see in your book that kind of leads to not only in in bolding or energizing the group or the team or what or the cult is uh, is is myth and propaganda, and uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, if you read, um, oh gosh, Joseph Campbell, he talks yep. about the power of myth, and there are, and you read anything about what's called the hero's journey. There's always something in our lives that we can see ourselves as. You know, the Luke Skywalker, who is really nobody, but is given an opportunity to walk a path and goes through every sort of challenge, even thinks that they fail. And as they go through this, they become a different person, and in fact, a hero. If you can say that through stories or even directly tell these individuals uh, in the team that this is you know, they're part of a bigger picture. They're part of a bigger path. You start to instill that sense of mythology. You had mentioned uh, the the paddings. They refer to as armor. I would almost insist on that. You know, this, you, everyone else calls it padding, but here it's our armor because we are warriors. And for a bunch of young boys, man, that would bring them together. You know, you're a platoon. You're not a team. You're a platoon. You have a common goal, which is to stay alive and win. Um, that's a great way of doing it. Um, that that whole idea of – I wanted to also share something, which is I recently – I've got this wonderful sweetheart that I'm, I can't wait to marry. And I made this – we do – we don't necessarily do things perfectly for each other. You know, she won't do something the way I expect it and want it to. And I could easily get upset and angry. And what I decided to do is go the entire opposite route. I would just, I would say, you know, you are a great person. I know that you can clean these dishes up without having them to pile up because you're a good person. And I just started to do that more and more and more. And it, it occurred to me. What would it be like if 
that was that was the institutionalized way of encouraging of disciplining somebody letting them know, letting them know, you know they make they a mistake and you tell them you're a better person you're a good person i know that you can do better and i'm thinking if try doing that with coaches because i know that i know that that there are probably some players that have the skills, but they, for whatever reason, they just cannot do it. They get frustrated. Another coach Another would, yell, coach at would him, yell at him. But what what would happen if that was not done? The yelling wasn't done. You did it through encouragement, through letting them know that you have a bigger vision of who this person is. What do you think? You know what? I I, uh, I I love I love that, David, and I will. Uh, I just have to pat myself on the back a little bit, and I'm not saying I. I don't know where my staff came up with this, but we often would say, uh, Johnny, you know, whatever, Johnny, uh, you're supposed to go this way. Come on, you're better than that. Yeah. As, as, as a ta- as a tag, I wouldn't even uh, stop there. I would say, you can do it, and I know you can, and you know you can. can. This is someone you're going to live up to, and you're going to be great. Can I, I want to see you do this. Will you do this and get a commitment from them? I wouldn't stop with just saying, you're better than this. So I get a just, commitment. Yeah, really build them up. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. That, that's awesome. No, that's, that's, uh, that's beautiful. Hey, I want to throw something really quick, jumping back a little bit to the mythology uh, thing. One of the things I did in my last year was, and, and you know this, uh, that you know the body, the, the mind will take on the body's posture, right? If you slump over, you're, you're depressed, you obviously get depressed and sad or whatever. And if you stand powerfully, you'll take on a powerful disposition in your mind. And so... <laughs> So Crazy Tim, uh, at the beginning of each practice, I had them stand in uh, what I call their Superman pose. Uh, deep breaths. I mean, total California foo-foo here. Deep breaths, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> and imagine you got a cape on your back. The whole the whole nine yards. I mean, if anybody heard me, they thought yeah. I had lost. Do you have it. them yell? No, I didn't go that far. I, <laughs> but no, that's that would be great too. Just. <laughs> If they start demonstrating that, I'd, I'd amp it up. Have them vocalize something. You know, let's hear your warrior yell. You know, once you're in the position, now encourage your your fellow warrior to give the warrior yell or whatever you want to call it. You know, so you're Classic. actually encourage them, encouraging them to help support each other. Good stuff. Hey, we're we're running long. I'm going to keep. I'm going to give you one more question, and. I'm going to ask you to dig in a little deeper because we talked about mythology, propaganda, and really we're looking at, you know, how do we guide a large group of people? And I think what you're saying is, is through this cult process, uh, you're, you're creating a groupthink kind of situation and giving them all a, a goal. And part of giving them all a goal is is a set of values, and you talk about that in your book, and I think that really drives everything, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I mean, I don't know how early an age you can do that with. You can certainly, the best way is to demonstrate those values, especially with the young people. Demonstrate those values. As they get older, and you're able to talk to them and, you know, give 
some su supportive lecture and, and describe these values and so that they understand the concepts. And of course, you're still demonstrating those values. That's really the best way to instill that. And when they demonstrate those values, recognize them for that. Mm. That's the best way to, to make it even more reinforcing, self-reinforcing. Yes, yes. And again, if we pick crappy values, then we end up being the coach that sucks the life out of uh, another human being. If we pick good values, we empower them, correct? Yeah, yeah. I've heard of some coaches who are able to get great results by belittling and yelling at their players, but I don't think they get, they may get a good result, but they don't get a good player in the long run. Yeah, yeah. With that, I, I'd like to, uh, to say thank you. And this was a great, pithy, I mean, you just dropped uh, wisdom after wisdom on everybody, and I appreciate it. Do, would you like to give us a little bit of inf more information about uh, how we can get more of, of what you do? How do we get the book yes. and, uh, and your information? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you'll find I have written a lot of books under the name of Dantalian Jones, D-A-N-T-A-L-I-O-N, Jones. Um, they're a little bit controversial, I totally admit that. Anyone who wants to learn hypnosis, go to, very simple website, thehypnosisseminar.com, and I, you'll get some information on it. I would love to just talk about it, the courses that I teach are three days long. You get some very thorough information. So that's that's. Uh, and if you want to call me, get a hold of Tim. I'll do some hypnosis with you through Skype if you, if we have to. And any questions? I'm sure they can they can find you on on Facebook either through my Facebook. Just spot he David's on my friend list, or I'm sure yes. you can just look him up, right? Yes, I, I also have, you can do a search for Advanced Hypnosis Skills Group on Facebook and uh, join that and uh, you can, we have a whole conversation of real interesting stuff going on there. Perfect. David, I'd like to thank you again and uh, I'm going to turn the recording off right now. Good enough. Good enough.